Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And this is episode 25 for the week of October the 6th, 2017. Blade Runner 2049 edition. And it's been a while just since we sat down. We looked. Our last episode was actually It. Yes, which we both liked. Yep. And uh, we've just been separated by time and space. I was off in Texas for two weeks for Fantastic Fest, yeah. which we will talk about tonight. I'm going to reveal some of my favorites. Yeah, so we have a great slate. We're going to get, get a couple movies reviewed. We're going to review Blade Runner 2049. We're going to talk about uh, Fantastic Fest and all the shenanigans and crazy stuff that happened there. And I'm hoping, Adam, you'll give us a handful of your top picks coming out of the festival for our listening audience to be looking forward to. And then we'll probably wrap up with a, uh, a film many of you probably have never heard of called Good Time. And it's going to be hard to see right now because it is out of theaters for the most part, I think. But it's got to be hitting VOD soon. So yeah, consider it an early recommendation to watch at home. There you go. So, yeah, we've been, you know, uh, coming into the fall headlong season here. And uh, I had some travel. You were gone for two weeks. And it's good to be back in the podcast studio here in our home office in columbus ohio we have a bunch of stuff planned too coming up so oh yes we'll cover that at the end but we have a lot of content coming your way i'm just saying right now stay tuned your mind will be blown away when you start to hear what's coming down the pipe in the next few weeks so well i think we should just jump right in forget the news just open up google if you want to know what's going on in the world Let's just jump right in and go to Blade Runner 2049. I know our audience wants to hear our thoughts, so you are listening to the Film Coterie Podcast. We'll be right back with Blade Runner 2049. Every civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce but I can only make so many. Shh. Happy birthday. There is an order to things. That's what we do here. We keep order. The world is built on a wall that separates kind. Tell either side there's no wall. You bought a war. You're a cop. I did your job once. I was good at it. I know. What do you want? I want to ask you some questions. All right, we are fresh from the theater, having just seen Blade Runner 2049, not even 30 minutes ago. Yep, literally <laughs> just left the theater. It's We hopped in our spinners, after, took off. It's after 11 o'clock, going on midnight, and we just came right back to the studio here to record this podcast. We both shared a look after a movie. I think we're in agreement on this one. Roger and I have not really had the chance, like we had in some other episodes, to kind of discuss this prior to recording. So our thoughts may be a little raw tonight. But there's a lot to take in with Blade Runner. And before we get to the movie, it might be best to address the original. Sure. Because it has a lot in common with it, and that I think this is going to be a divisive movie. 
And when I say that, I mean, you have to keep in mind that Blade Runner has established a cult following now. But it was a critical and commercial flop when it came out. Yes. Yep. Audiences didn't know what to make of it. It didn't really find its home audience or any audience until it was on the home market when people could get it on VHS or beta and Laserdisc eventually and take it in. And I still think the movie only really makes a small number of people happy. I think it bounces off a lot of people. It's definitely not your run-of-the-mill. It's not even a run-of-the-mill sci-fi film, you know. Um, And Blade Runner 2049 is going to, I think, we're going to eventually say will flow into that same category of, 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 you know, of a movie. The original, i got to be honest with you, I wasn't overly gripped by the original. I appreciated it for what it was. I never saw it in the theater. I was one of those kids that caught it on my big VHS tape from the Blockbuster video, you know. It's, oh, Blade Runner, cool, I've heard good things. Oh, Harrison Ford's in that, cool, I'll check it out, you know. Um, <clears throat> I have to say, my initial impressions of the original was I was a little underwhelmed. I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of slow and methodical, and there's action, but it's just a little spurt, and then there's long scenes of not- of like plot and development and weird sets and futures and no answers and no answers yes you know but i did come to really appreciate this film over the years Mm -hmm. for what it was you know and i think the more i've seen i mean i know people that have seen this the original blade runner a hundred times i mean they just has a huge cult following people who are fans of it are diehard fans of it you know but it's definitely not a mainstream film, even today. I mean, the, the, even today's generation, the younger generation, probably would watch Blade Runner and be like, what's the big deal, you know? Well, and the thing is, even even among the movie-going crowd, I still think it cuts a narrow path. Because look at our movie group. You and I were the only ones excited to see it. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of interest from anyone else. And they, they think the, old, the other one's okay, though. I don't like it. And let's be honest. We really have a good slice of America in our group that goes, you know? I mean, you and I are kind of the film nuts, fanatics. And then we have a couple guys. One of them kind of enjoys film and enjoys it for the art that it is. And then you've got the, uh, you know, the every everyday guy. We call him Blu-ray Bob. He's he's the voice of, of, of America, you know, kind of a deal. And then we, we have um, uh, some other folks that will pop in and out from time to time and kind of give us a feel and maybe tether our enthusiasm at times as well, too. So, Yeah, and I, I came into Blade Runner much the same way you did. I discovered it. My dad got a Laserdisc player. And I grew up in Finley, Ohio. And the library we had had a huge collection of Laserdiscs. But I don't know that any other families had a Laserdisc player. So I'd, whenever I went to the library, I'd grab all these classics. Dude, that's so awesome. I was probably 10 or younger. And I started discovering all these movies. Like I swear the same week I watched Aliens. Blade Runner. I hit all these classics in a row and my mind was it's, blown. It's like every library, my library was the, ex- I'm a small country library, but it had a laser disc section. And every time you went, there was Blade Runner, Aliens, Back to the Future, Predator. Predator. There was like this, the same group of movies. I don't, it must have been the studio or who, I don't know what it was, but that were always there. Yeah. So that's how I saw it. And I wasn't a huge fan as a as a younger person, I, I liked the universe. I loved the way it looked. The story didn't grip me. There was nothing at stake. It didn't feel like yeah. the, he's not saving the world in the first Blade Runner. But what it is is just a nice noir. It's very much kind of a noir film, and it's very 
a guy just trying to survive day after day in his job that he has hunting these replicants, you know, hunting down these replicants and uh, living in a dystopian post whatever. I wouldn't say maybe necessarily apocalyptic, but yeah, I guess apocalyptic, but this post dystopian kind of future Los Angeles where it's went to extremes and excesses, you know, and uh, very industrial, no living plants and everything's metal and there's no wood and no animals. And, you know, it's just all a very gritty, dark future kind of deal. Right. And as I I grew up, I I watched it on more than one occasion. Every time I watched it, I liked it more. It hooked me in. I saw something different. And then as an adult, I love this movie. Well, there's a subtlety that Ridley Scott really hones his craft you know he, he, he he's he, you know he, he i don't this this falls this falls between the two alien films is that right adam how does this how does this fall when you know like alien came out and then was it blade runner then aliens do you know well i, I mean ridley scott directed the first alien james right. cameron directed Aliens. no i know that yeah. but i'm saying you look at this progression in that kind oh, of that sci- sci-fi sci-fi world how it went from more noir like you know ridley scott's was much more mentally tense you know kind of you know and then it went to a full-blown action film the second one you know yeah and so you know maybe scott is more prone to doing these kind of a you know, tense, noir-type films, you know. So, flash forward to roughly 35 yes, years. 35 years. And here we are, Blade Runner 2049. And right off the bat, I'll say this. This is a worthy sequel. It feels like the same universe. I don't have any doubts that this is the same universe. It doesn't feel artificial to me. And it passed the test right away. Like, I remember seeing Phantom Menace. And right off the bat, I'm like, this isn't Star Wars. Something fell off. Yeah. There was this huge disconnect for me, and it just felt like not Star Wars. And there's other movies that we've gotten long gaps for, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. I'll get off Lucas here in a second, but they don't (laughs) feel right. Yeah, I I agree. And this may be not the first scene. The first scene in this movie is a little different with Dave Bautista, but once you're in L.A., this was Blade Runner. I didn't even question it for a second. It didn't even feel like you missed any time. I mean, this feels like the universe. This feels like the franchise. And it didn't miss a beat. This is like Fury Road being like a worthy sequel to that franchise. Those are the two that stand out in my mind as a long gap of time, but then a great film coming from it. You know, as soon as we walked out of the theater, the first thing I said was, how did they recreate the world of Blade Runner without copying the world of Blade Runner? it was very organic. It had that exact same feel. If you, it's, it literally, it's just like we went 35 years into the future, you know? And yet I I would argue maybe there's a little more polish on this version of that, of that world, but the technology is so much better now than it was in 1982, you know, but it's the same world, that same feel, that same, you know, lighting, that same palette of colors, you know, it was all there. Everything feels so used and old. Um, There's obviously CG in this movie, but I think the smog really helps that, you know, you're not feeling like you're looking at any CG landscapes or anything else. The apartments, the buildings, the streets, they all feel real and lived in. And just those shots of flying around the smoggy LA or they get me every time. I love the cinematography uh, here. I'd, well, since we, you mentioned cinematography, Roger Deakins is 
in my opinion, my, he might be the best cinematographer in the business right now. I mean, yeah. I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. He's done a bunch of their films. Um, you, you've known him. He did Shawshank Redemption, which was beautifully shot. Totally different deal. No Country for Old Men, Skyfall. I mean, he's he's had no matter what kind of genre you put him in, he shoots beautiful movies, you know. And then Denis Villeneuve, you know, is in my mind just a genius. And it's like these guys are the perfect combo, the duo together, you know. Uh, just just amazing, you know. The the I can't say enough about how this film was shot, the cinematography. The color palette of this movie is breathtaking. This is a movie, I'm telling you right now, whether you, you know, whether you like the story or whether you like how the movie goes or the pacing or all that, it's worth going and seeing on a big screen. I mean, we, we, we were lucky to get to see it in the, the largest screen in the, in the movie house we were in. The sound was incredible. We'll get to that probably later. But... It's just the starkness and the power. I mean, the, the 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 shifts, and every time he went to a new scene, it was a new palette and a new emotion is evoked before words ever said. You know, there's this emotion that just raw emotion that comes out from the just from the color of this film. It's just incredible to me. I got to be honest with you. I'm trying, Adam. I'm doing my best to try to tether myself, trying to keep myself calm. And not be reactionary just because we saw it 45 minutes to an hour ago. You know, I want to be, I want to see it again before I come out and say it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, I want to just trying to keep saying, Roger, calm down, calm down, you know. But it's really, I just think the movie's beautiful. I think it's shot beautifully. And and it's the palette, it's something about it just connects and resonates with me. Yeah, I mean, visually, it, it couldn't have done a better job. It it just tethers you back to that world. And I'll say this too as a sequel. This is a unique film in that it's another story in this universe, but they're not trying the typical sequel route. This is not trying to do anything bigger or better or just because we got more special effects now. There's no army of replicants running around. There's no big battle scenes. They're not going bigger. This is a different story done really well in the yet, Blade Runner universe. Yet there are clear... And precise tiebacks to the original storyline. But they're not fan service. But they're not exactly. But there's not one ounce of fan service. No owl floating in or anything. Or, you and know. No, no lines repeated. You're not going to yeah. hear tears in the rain. Exactly. But great tieback in with the story. It is a continuation of the mystery that was the first movie, you know? It's a continuation of that, and I, this is hopefully this is not a spoiler because it. But I'll just tell you this: it, it, it follows in the same vein. You're not going to get all the answers you want right. in this movie, you know. Yeah, it's not just setting out to answer the mysteries of the first one, which is, I think, a beautiful thing. You know, I mean, I think it's brilliant. I mean, yes, I think Ridley Scott's fingerprints are on this, but the craftsman is Venu and 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 Deacons working together. And we're not going to spoil anything because here's something really nice. The trailers don't give away the movie. Not, not a literally. I'm just going to tell you this. I did. I'd seen all the trailers. Kind of had an idea. Had some questions about this and that. My mind was blown in the first five minutes of the movie because they just start dropping bombshells that you didn't see coming from anywhere. And the movie's not built up to like deliver a twist or anything. It's just a well-told story. It is a yes, absolutely. 
But like I said, we're not going to spoil anything. The trailers have kept the movie in the dark for the most part. You can't really figure it out from the trailers, at least the way I saw them. There's some new TV ones that are a little more spoilery, I've heard. I've not seen them. I've not seen those either. But that's how it goes. So, um, performance-wise... Yeah, let's talk about the acting. The the two leads are obviously Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford. Yep. Gosling gets the most screen time. No surprise there. And he's good. I mean, he's never not good. I can't think of a bad Gosling performance where he just phoned it in. And this is a good character. He's a Blade Runner. Yep. Um, he starts the story. Um, he meets up with Harrison Ford later, as you've seen in the trailers. And... Um, I don't have much to say about Gosling. It's a natural fit for him, this role. I will, I will just leave it at that. He's low-key. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, even Harrison Ford, who played a Blade Runner in the original, it's a, that's a low-key performance he gave. What I said earlier, too, if, if you've ever seen Harrison Ford give an interview where he's just himself, out of all of his movie characters, he's most like Deckard. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly, yeah. Kind of reserved. Yeah. In that he's not as charismatic as Han Solo or Indiana Jones in right. real life, he's just not. Yeah. So I think Deckard's a natural fit for Harrison Ford, and he slips back into it easily. I mean, when you see him show up in the movie, you don't really question it or feel like. It, obviously, time has passed. Yes, you know, you know, there's this, there's this, you know, when 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 they came out with with Star Wars, uh, the, the episode episode seven. There's this little bit of a shock when you see Harrison Ford, you know, old Harrison Ford, because you're expecting young, energetic Harrison Ford, not kind of old, hobbly, you know. This movie's done so well that it makes total sense that that it's an older Harrison Ford, still the same mannerisms, just an aged, aged Decker, you know. Um, so I thought his performance was spot on. I, I, you know, I have some complaints about Harrison Ford's acting at times. Sure. Um, but I think this performance, he, I think he was into this performance. I'll just say that. Um, what about out of, and I will say this, I think out of Indiana Jones, Hansel, all the ones he's come back to later in life, this was the easiest fit. For the him. best retread reboot yeah. for him. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let me mention some other characters. I'll just go down the IMDB list and get your thoughts on them, Adam. Um, Dave Batista makes a, makes an appearance. Yep. In you this. see him in the trailer. He's, He's good in his time in the movie. It's not long, but yeah. he's good in there. Absolutely. And um uh he played um in the Marvel in the uh Drax. He, yeah, played Drax. He's not Drax in this. No. You know, he's compl- very very the exact opposite. Just he's not lo- going to make you laugh. Yeah, exactly. And so I I thought, "Oh, this guy's got some range." Well, let's jump into the women cuz I think this is a really oh, strong yeah. movie yes. for at least four female characters yes. that were all good. Well, let's start with Robin Wright. Who plays the police chief? The police chief. I thought she was very solid. Yeah, she's not a good guy. She's not a bad guy. Very good neutral character that has her own motives. Um, she's good in every scene she's in, and it's very interesting her relationship with Ryan Gosling's character. Yeah, they have a history, and I think it's they play off each other really well. And then you have Anna De Armas who played Joy. Mm-hmm. Joy's his girlfriend. You see that in the trailers. Um, she's got a bigger part than I expected, and she has a lot of range. Um, they give her a lot to do. She's not just the girlfriend that's going to be put... Window dressing, exactly. I was going to say this. She's not going to just be put in apparel later. Yes. Every noir story, if the guy's got a girlfriend, she's going to be tied to the train tracks or dangled from her roof. She's not playing that character here. And um, 
I, I can't wait to see this again and then maybe do a spoiler cast because I want to talk about specifics of performances and stuff, but I don't want to give a lot away. I'll just agree with you totally. A lot more range and some very unique. The most likable character in the movie. Yes, yes, yes. And yes, I, I, I'll just leave it there. I would agree. Um, we have Love, Sylvia Hoax, maybe. And you see her in the trailer. She's Jared Leto's assistant. Yep. Um, she doesn't get to do as much. She's kind of a generic villain, but she's good at it. She's very good in the role. Um, Villeneuve does some interesting things with her performance where her emotions can be different than what she's doing. You know, she could be doing something and kind of has a flat affect, but then a tear runs down her face. Right. You know, there's this control thing going on with her that's very interesting in the movie. Yeah. And the actress nailed it. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's a great performance. I think the women are very strong in this film and um, hit it out of the park. Not a lot of real token characters, I guess you would say, that direction. Well, I was worried because um, you didn't bring her up yet, and I, I forget her name in the movie. Um, there's a, a prostitute character. Oh, yeah. That I was worried was going to be a retread of Daryl Hannah's character. Yes. And it's not at all. This is the nice thing about the movie. There's no retreads here. There's no, like, Daryl Hannah-type character. There's no Roy Batty. There's no toy maker. I mean, they don't retread any of that. All these characters are unique and new. Yeah, and I'm looking down IMDb, and I don't see her, to be honest with you. But I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. There's a group of three women that proposition... There's a proposition that's made, and she ends up being kind of the lead, one of the lead characters of that. Um, but I thought all their performances were really solid, uh, really good. Um, what about what about like some of the guys in this? You know, let's uh, you know, uh, how about Jared Leto? I'll say this very rarely in my life, but I liked him in this movie. Um, he plays the corporate guru that's taken over Tyrell Corporation. He's sort of. There's a little bit of Steve Jobs in him. I think you saw that too. Yeah. Where he's kind of got that that dynamic, but it's different. He's got some more Eastern sensibilities as well. He's wearing like a, not a Kung Fu outfit, but you know what I mean? It, very right. Eastern style clothing. And they're still in the Tyrell buildings. If you remember in the first movie, the Tyrell Corporation who makes the replicants were in a pyramid in right, LA. Exactly. And I always thought this was kind of a real cool thing because it's like a temple. It's where people would go to worship, but there's elements inside. There was always strong elements of stone and water and light. It has a very naturalistic insides, internals to this kind of technological temple. And that was always weird because you think out of all places, Tyrell would be the most high-tech place inside, and yet it was always the most natural. There's just something really yeah, yeah. Scott did in the original. Yeah. Um, there's a surprise appearance that I was not expecting. Should we mention it? Nope. Okay. We won't mention it. That, yeah. I thought that would get into spoiler territory. That's why I brought it up. Um, I'm trying to think. Who, that's about it for the, really it's the three main guys. That's, really, that's yeah. really Harrison Ford. And, um, yeah. And, and, uh, the movie follows Ryan Gosling though. I mean, yes. if he's not in every scene, it's just a scene here or there. He's not in. Yeah. He, so, okay, so we've been a little while. We've been, you know, 20 minutes or so talking about, you well, know. How about the score? Yes, I was going to say, 
Wow, what a musical score. I'm telling you one thing. We saw it in a big theater. It was loud. Um, there's great use. I, I'm just going to come out and say it, not even having seen it twice. This, I think the score's better than the original. Um, the original did not strike me, even though a lot of people just love it and think it's amazing. It just didn't resonate with me. This score, and even the use, even in the maybe the sound effects or the score, the lack of score at times, and then the subtle reintroduction of score created great tension for me. I found myself a couple times, my heart was just racing. I was so engaged with these characters. The score is more industrial this time out. The original score is done by Vangelis, Vangelis for the old movie. This one feels a little more industrial, a lot more horns, but not like Chris Nolan horns. But it did remind me a little bit of some of Nolan's stuff where the movie would open on a scene, the score comes in, and you're kind of on a steady shot, and then the right. action begins. The spinner will fly by. Yes. It, it sets the mood very artfully. Yes. Absolutely. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, what else, Adam? Let's let's kind of wrap up our thoughts here. And, uh, you know, initial just walking out of the theater – thoughts about Blade well, let Runner. me if you love the original one i wholeheartedly recommend this you're gonna love this one if you're a fan of the original if you don't like the original i don't think you're gonna like this one i mean it's it's similar but different but it's a lot in the same vein that if that wasn't your type of movie this isn't gonna be either this isn't spoiling anything but this is not an action movie nope um it's long it's two hours and 49 minutes or almost whatever. almost three hours yeah it did not feel long to me. Um, Comparison-wise, it's up there like Lord of the Rings and anything else, but maybe it's because the first time I'm seeing it, it, it went pretty quick. Yeah. I didn't feel it dragged. Um, I think this movie will be polarizing. I think a lot of people will go into it because it's got Harrison Ford, Ryan Gosling. It's really popular, and they're going to walk out and say, Wow, that was really slow and boring. It was pretty at times, but really boring. Because it's a noir. It's a noir. It is a story, man. I'm telling you, this movie gripped me in a big way, you know. Well, let me say this, too. Unlike Mad Max Fury Road, you greatly benefit from having seen the first movie. I almost say it's a must. Uh, Absolutely. It, It is definitely... You need to see it to have a foundation to know what you're getting into with Blade Runner. And it ties back to that story. So this isn't a standalone by any means. I think you have to see the first one yeah. if you're going to like this one. Yeah. I would give it a big thumbs up. I, I would I would say if you liked – I hate to – with a movie that I think is so well-crafted and so good, have a caveat. But if you liked Blade Runner, I think you should absolutely go see this one. Yeah. I mean, that's my caveat too is – I mean, there's movie fans I know that don't like Blade Runner, and I, I don't think they're going to like this one. Yeah, I agree. I won't know until they see it, but – I mean, I loved it. I, I really mean, wish. I'm still. I really wish it wasn't just the dynamic duo tonight with just you and I. Well, we need Matt. We, I, well, I wish we'd have had our regular crew. Oh yeah, we to, would have had a mixed reaction. I bet to get their reaction on the film, you know. Yeah. I will say this in my book, in the English language films he's done, Denis Villeneuve is still perfect. I've loved everything he's done. Well, I loved Arrival, and um, I've heard great things about Sicario. I'm going to have to go see it, you know. Yes. And um, I just flat loved Blade Runner 2049. 
And I, I, I won't say I want to see it again, but I think I, I, my gut tells me that Blade Runner 2049 is an absolute improvement over the first movie. Um, in every way, I liked it better than the first one. Uh, it just really resonated with me. I connected with it. Um, there's a close, the closing scene. I got a little tore up. I mean, I got a little, I was choked up in the theater. You know, I haven't had that happen in years. It was a little tore up at the very last scene. And so, um, yeah, I just emotionally, I really connected with this movie a whole lot more than I have with any movie in a long time. So highly recommend it. I'm, I'm going to see it again. And I'm actually, I didn't have time before this viewing. I'm going to watch Blade Runner, the original. Yes. Before I see it again. <laughs> yes. And, and, and if we see the original Blade Runner again, and we see, go see this again, it might be worth doing the spoiler cast. It, but then again, we may think, ah, eh, we, we covered it good enough, you know? Yeah, and I think this is a movie that you should discover on your own anyway. I wouldn't necessarily listen to a spoiler cast. It might yeah. be interesting to hear some. I don't know there's much to discuss. It's well, such a mood piece. I, 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 You know, myself personally, I went out of the theater thinking, I can't wait to listen to podcasts that okay. will talk about this movie. In more depth. In yeah. more depth, because I want to know what other people thought of some of the scenes that are in this movie. I'm curious about... What maybe other people who will go see this will think about some of the, you know, the scenes that maybe you don't like in this movie. Why did you not like them kind of thing? You know, that's, that's, um, you know, for me personally, why I would like to kind of get a spoiler yeah, okay, cast I about can see the that. movie. So, yeah. But, okay, well, that's going to wrap it up for Blade Runner 2049. And when we come, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into Adam's review of his festival trip. Ah, Fantastic Fest. His fantastic festival that he went to. And I'm looking forward to hearing from it. You are listening to The Film Coder. We'll be right back after the music. All right. So for this section, I'm going to talk about some of the highlights of Fantastic Fest. So for our listening audience, Adam, what is Fantastic? Because I'm going to I know I have listeners that are friends of mine that have no clue what this is. What is Fantastic Fest? Uh, Fantastic Fest is a film festival put on by the Alamo Drafthouse, the world famous Alamo Drafthouse that film lovers know and appreciate because they're the ones that are militant on the no texting, no talking. They tell you right before every screening, you talk, you text, we're throwing your ass out. Yep, absolutely. And they gave Madonna a lifetime God, ban. God bless them. She was texting at one of their theaters in New York or whatever, and they kicked her out permanently. So that's the Alamo. So what they do with Fantastic Fest, this is year number 13. Lucky 13. Yep. They have their own festival. It's it's heavily in the genre fair, from horror to comedies to action to sci-fi and heavy on the foreign and independence. Nice. They have some bigger names come through. There's some studio movies like Last Year Had Arrival. Nice. But the vast majority of it is indie, foreign, and just weird and bizarre films. And they don't play to the normal stuff. It literally is films that are fantastical in yes, nature. for the most part. So um, there's more there than you can ever see in the eight days. 
I a, felt like I went eight, hard. An eight-day film festival. That's, a, yeah. that's just unheard of. Well, some are longer, but they just show movies at night. Right. Fantastic Fest is, if you're just on the fan badge and not uh, press an industry, it starts at 10 a.m. is the first round every day. There's five rounds you go to. Five films a day. Yeah, and the last starts at midnight. With very little time in between. <laughs> you're just doing from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. Every but day. it is in a draft house where you have a table right Food, in front of drink. you. drink. Yes, yes, you have everything you need. All you got to do is 10 minutes for the bathroom and back to the seat. <laughs> and there's always fun stuff going on. I mean, that's what makes Fantastic Fest fantastic is that uh, there's an attached bar called the Highball. Okay. So you're stretching your legs. You're out of a movie. You walk in there, and they're doing like a Star Wars drink competition or puke and explode. That's the thing where they make people eat terrible things. <laughs> and you can win prizes. Nice. And it's very often you'll see uh, uh, professional movie critics, celebrities will be there, and they just all hang out. It's not like... It's not yeah, like, that's the thing I like about it the best is there's no VIP section. It's right. all just people that are cool, commingling with industry, commingling with the press, directors. I mean, my very first year, Edgar Wright was just walking around. I talked to him a few times. Which is amazing because I'm yeah. a huge fan of Shaun of the Dead and everything else oh, he's yeah. done. So the, everyone's cool. No one's freaking out. There's no autograph hounds. That's the best part of Fantastic Fest. So this year I saw 31 films. Oh my gosh. 31 and, films in eight days. Yeah. I went hard. So let's hear about it. And them. there's like 90. So I mean at best you maybe see 30. Right. That's a third. And I, you just can't see everything. Now, now, do they shut down the theater for the whole eight mm-hmm. days and only show festival films? Yeah. So it's at their main location, South Lamar in Austin. There's nine screens. And it's just shut down. All that's going on there is Fantastic Fest. Every slot has four or five different movies showing you pick one. And you get you pick a couple. You sort it by the order you want. Right. But no matter what, you will see something every time slot. So, I was a super fan this year. Nice. Because my name came up in the lottery, so I got to buy a more expensive badge. But it means I always got my first pick. Nice. I like that. And so, you have this kind of lottery system. You 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 pick the film you'd like to see. So You, you kinda, rank them. Yeah, you kind of knew going in. You knew what the list of films were for the most yep. part, right? And there was a surprise film or two, right? There's always a secret screening. That's right. You go in, and you have no idea. They'll introduce it. They won't tell you what movie it is. So you're sitting there, and you have no idea until the title appears on the screen. Um, this year's surprise screening was The Death of Stalin. Okay. A comedy by the people of Veep about the power vacuum that happened after Stalin went down. It's very funny, very foul. Um, I don't know that it has a U.S. release date yet. I know it's coming out in the U.K. October 20th, but I don't know if there's a U.S. release date for it yet. Very foul. I mean, if you've seen Veep on HBO, you know what to expect. Like a messed up West Wing. Yeah, it is right in the spirit of Fantastic Fest. That strange, weird, foul, fantastic kind of movie. So uh, the one experience I want to start with is The Square. If you've heard of this movie, it won the Palm Door at Cannes. Okay. By the maker, the filmmaker who did Force Majeure, which is great if you haven't seen that movie. Um, that movie's about a family at a ski lodge. And it looks like an avalanche is coming, but they're just clearing it off every yes. morning with the cannons. And the father runs away and abandons the family. The wife immediately laughs it off, but then it bothers her day after day after day. And you're just watching a marriage fall apart from one action. 
So The Square is his follow-up to that movie. Have you seen the trailer for this at all? I have not, no. It's about an art museum. And it's just, it goes all over the place. It's hard to peg down. It's funny. It's really a takedown on critics, on art museums themselves, and just kind of what is performance art, or even the question, what is art? Sure. So if you see the trailer, there's a human gorilla in this movie. A guy with no shirt, terrorizing an audience. And because it's Fantastic Fest, that actor actually came into our theater. At the end of the movie, we heard the hooting and the hollering, and all of a sudden, here comes a shirtless guy. And it's the actual actor from the movie. Terry Notary. In full makeup costume. Well, no real costume. He's just shirtless with black pants. Right. But he has these arm extenders. So, like, playing the ape character. Mm-hmm. And he terrorized us. He was smashing glass. He covered us in water. He smashed a water glass right in our row all over myself and my parents who were next to me. <laughs> and you said, like, Leonard Malton was, like, three rows back. Three rows back, and he's terrified. You he know? said it scared the crap out of him is what I heard. My <laughs> mom was scared. I mean, it was intense. That's just crazy. Because he comes in. I've put the video on Facebook. If you're friend with me on Facebook, I actually put the video up so you can see it. <laughs> Um, it starts out funny, but when he starts smashing stuff and getting in your face, oh yeah, a different part of your brain takes over. Yes. And you just want to be left alone. You don't want to make eye contact. You're just sitting there and you're hoping for it to be over. I mean, it was an intense experience. Wow. I don't have any words for that, Adam. That's pretty crazy, man. I'm looking over my list here. I'm trying to pick up some favorites. So I love the square, um, that will more than likely be in my top 10 for the year. Okay. Funny, different. Now, is it got a distributor released in the United States yet? It is coming out in the U.S. Okay. Uh, November, I think. Great. The movie that won the jury award. Okay. Which is, they have a panel of filmmakers and press and uh, some other people on their juries, was my friend Dahmer, which is a biopic. Yes. And I really like this movie, too. It was well done. I um, did watch the trailer for it. If you didn't know... Uh, Dahmer, as a young teenager, grew up in Akron. Yes, around did. there, Bath, Ohio. Yeah. Yep. This movie filmed there, and they actually filmed in his house. The real house, the exteriors, interiors, is in the movie. Wow. And his shed, where he was doing stuff with small animals, just collecting their bones, they rebuilt on the exact spot. That's freaky. So the movie was based on a book, a graphic novel written by his friend. So it's his experience with Dahmer as a teenager. Okay. He's not killing anyone yet. He's a weird, misunderstood kid. And his family's messed up. Mm. Okay. Excellent. The crowd. So there's the jury award. The crowd votes. When you leave a movie, you get a ballot with a 1 to 10. And you tear the number, you vote. So the crowd like a movie called Bodied. (coughs) The best. Okay. By Joseph Kahn. It's a battle rap movie, but I know you're looking at me. It's very different. It's so perfect for these times because it's about internet outrage. You know, the outrage culture we're currently in. Oh, yes. Yes. Where we immediately want to call someone a racist, put them in a category. Yes. Just are mad. This movie is about that. I couldn't believe how current it was. And what brought Joseph Kahn, if you don't know, he's a music video director. He did everything early on, but lately he's been doing Taylor Swift. Right. I don't know my Taylor Swift music all that well. She recently had a video in Africa. 
Okay. I don't have, have you seen you have a teenage daughter. So I have I'm a teenage just daughter, but I cannot relate to Taylor Swift. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so I haven't seen the music video, but he shot it for her and he was accused of being a racist. Okay. So I can't judge the video, but that's what inspired him to make this movie. So the funny thing about bodied is it's a white fanboy, <laughs> and it's very weird. It doesn't even feel like our reality. He's watching battle rap, and he's a huge fan. Right. And you see it go off, and then he'll turn to his white girlfriend and explain in a highly technical manner what just happened with the poetry and the bars. And the <laughs> there's so much pop culture references. He's explaining everything to her. Right. Much like you would hear in a coffee shop with maybe a white comic book fan, a white... Sure. It's almost mansplaining, if you okay. if you can get that. Oh, yeah. I, I feel you. So he's an imposter. You know, he's just not in the community. He's not a minority or anything else, but he wants to battle rap. And the funny thing, if you haven't seen battle rap is, and I haven't seen a lot of it myself, they say terrible things to each other. You're just insulting each other directly back right. and forth. Oh, yeah. And the most roast racist stuff will come up. You know, if it's an Asian guy, they're saying all kinds of crazy stuff about eyes and everything else. And sure. You're not a racist if you're doing it in battle rap. Okay. Huh. Well, it sounds intriguing. It's a very bizarre story. Yeah. But it's funny because, again, the crowds turn on him. There's funny signs in the movie because my name is Adam where the whole campus protests him (laughs) because it's about the outrage culture. Oh, yeah. So there's signs like Asians against Adam, atheists against Adam. Everyone unites against him. Yep. They all get together. The ones that hate each other all turn on him and unite. <laughs> um, for action movies, I think it's out next week. Uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99. This is Vince Vaughn. I saw this. I saw I saw a um, preview for it. Yeah. This is a new cult classic. I. This is so violent. This is so over-the-top violent. I'm curious how mainstream audiences are going to react. I have maybe heard Jesus in this in this theater. More than at a church service, <laughs> just by people <laughs> reacting to the injuries inflicted on people. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all fists. I mean, this is in prison, so it's, we're not talking weapons or guns. Right. This is just brutal hand-to-hand violence. And its story is so simple. It's just a guy in jail who has to do something for the cartel. Wow. Or they'll hurt his girlfriend. He's got to kill a guy, but the guy's in a different jail. He's in Max, so he's got to behave bad enough in this prison to get sent up. Thus, the violent rampage. It of, begins, yes. and this is a its a crowd pleaser. That's the weirdest thing. It's such a dark story. It's so, so violent, but somehow they found this narrative thread that you have a really good time watching this movie. It's like a cult classic. I mean, it's the only way I can explain it. You'll never see does, Vince Vaughn the same way again. Does it have kind of a video game vibe? No, it's see, there's nothing over the top. That's what I'm kind of wondering is, how could people get into rooting if it's realistic violence? I know, you know, it's weird. I can't explain it. That's wild. And we, I, uh, my, my mom saw this with me, and she's, she's not into these type of movies. I felt bad during it because we got separated. You know, there just weren't enough chairs. So she was sitting a few people down from us. And the movie's so violent. I'm like, oh, what is she going to say after right. this movie? I felt bad. She admitted it was horrifically violent, but that she really liked it. And she had a good time. Like, she would say this is the most 
entertaining movie there almost. So next week, if this is in town, and I think it will be, I'm going to drag everyone because like, I want Bob to see this movie. Oh, yeah, and get his response. Because yeah. Bob's the everyday American Bob, you know? Absolutely. Cool. So what what are the gems and nuggets? Uh, we have a few more minutes here. What other gems and nuggets did you find at Fantastic Fest? Um, it doesn't have a distributor yet. It will. There's a zombie Christmas musical called Anna in the Apocalypse. Okay. It was very well done. I don't know if you've ever seen the thing online about Ryan Gosling won't eat his cereal. Some guy made these clips. They were vines back in the day. Right. Where he would just have footage of Ryan Gosling and he would try to feed him cereal. Like he just put the spoon up and he always timed it where he'd look away. And he made a ton of these just called Ryan Gosling won't eat whatever. Okay. This was his baby. He'd been trying nice. to make this for years. It finally happened. Unfortunately, he died. Um, he had cancer. and it, Oh, man. It, he never saw the end of this, but this is a, it's in Scotland. It's just a high school musical that happens to take place during a zombie apocalypse at Christmas. Oh, my gosh. So I got to see this. Lots of brain smashing, but lots of fun poppy songs. Oh, yeah. I got to see this. So it'll come out sometime. Awesome. Killing of a Sacred Deer is coming out. The next movie from Yorgos Lanthimos. Oh. Uh, he did The Lobster. Yeah, okay. This is Colin Farrell, Nicole Kidman, pure psychological wow. terror. Okay, I'm on board. This is a trailer you have to see. It's an effective trailer. Um, a surgeon played by Colin Farrell has, he operated on this other child's dad. The dad didn't make it. And the child is taking his revenge on him by doing something to make his own kids stop walking, stop eating. Oh. And that's the mystery of it, what is happening to his family, because the kid's threatening him. This is justice. This is what wow. the kid says, and the doctor's own children stop walking. Wow. It's creepy. Okay. Right up, I think, your alley and my alley, maybe. <laughs> uh, Blade of the Immortal. Uh, this is the 100th film by Takashi Miike. Now, this is right up my alley. When, as soon as you start talking about this, I was like, I'm on board. This is True Grit meets Wolverine meets Magnificent Seven. Sign me up. It's a samurai curse to live forever by a witch. And he fights tons of people. He, a young girl hires him to take revenge on the leader of an evil school. And he's, he can't die. He regenerates. He can put his limbs back on. So if you tie up his arm during a fight, he'll just cut it off and keep fighting you. It's fun. It's a crowd pleaser. Like it. Um, Warner Brothers picked this up. It's coming out, I think, this year. Awesome. Um, we'll finish on Thelma. Okay. Let me see. Yeah, we'll do Thelma. This is like Carrie, but way better. It's okay. a coming-of-age story. Okay. Uh, young girl starts developing powers. Hmm. And not just like telekinesis where she can move things. She's some kind of powerful empath that can control what people do where she draws people to her. Wow. Yeah. And it's got a lot of really tense scenes. It goes to some very dark places. And it makes you question... Whether she's going to be good or bad. I'll say it's okay. kind of an open ending. Okay. She could be a villain. She could be the greatest villain the world's and ever seen. is she coming of age in real life? I mean, as far as her life, like is she 14, 15? She's college. I mean, it's like a later coming okay. of age. Okay. Because that would be an interesting story. You know, she's 13, 14, 15, and she's going through all the emotional stuff of that age, plus discovering yeah, she's her a little em- bit, right. empathic powers. She's a little bit older. 
And if this was a superhero origin story, this would be the best origin of all time. It's that good of a film. Wow. That you wonder what she's going to be like when she fully realizes her powers. Nice. We don't see that. Yeah. We're just seeing the early days. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'm going to try to write up some of these because I want to let people know as things are coming out. Like Cell Block 99 is next week. Yep. Um, I'm going to promote that one and hopefully we'll review it. Yeah, no, absolutely. The only disappointment, and this is surprising, was downsizing. Okay. Have you seen the trailer for that? That's Matt Damon coming out at Christmas. They shrink. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a huge mess. What's up with Matt Damon and his run of movies here lately? The Wall? Oh, yeah. So, Downsizing has no idea what it wants to be. The preview shows you that these are people voluntarily choosing to shrink down to five inches. Why? Their money goes further. $50,000 $50,000 becomes $12.5 Because at that level, think of what little food you need and everything else. They convert your money to, like, a sandwich is the same price if you're tiny, but it's this big. So you get a, you can live the rest of your life. Gotcha. But they do nothing. Like, the movie, aside from sight gags, does not involve them being small. It, okay. <laughs> this is a movie if Charlie Kaufman had done would have been brilliant. Yes. No, yeah, but I, I this isn't you. Charlie Kaufman, so it deals... Every time it comes to an issue, it takes a hard right and doesn't address it. His marriage falls apart. They don't really get into it. Um, you see the societal issues that, um, you know, some labor forces are shrunk down against their will and live outside the city. They don't deal with that. There's a huge thing on global warming. They don't deal with that. Okay. This is a movie that's 10 different things and doesn't have the guts to be good at any of them. Like The director did not engage with any topic he brings up. Yeah. So the whole thing is a mess. It's coming out at Christmas. I don't know that a new cut will save it. I don't know what they shot. But it got bad reviews all the way around. Yeah. I didn't see anyone at Fantastic Fest that liked it. So that was a huge dud. Okay. But uh, overall, you seem to have a very positive oh, experience. there were 15 great movies. Like, this by far was their best year of programming that I've ever been. And it was, was, very, four years. It was very much an independent programming, too. You know, independent yeah. film, so... Cool. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for your Fantastic Fest review. Uh, When we come back, we have another movie to review, and then we'll kind of talk a little bit about our coming attractions. It's going to be exciting and great. You are listening to the Film Coterie Podcast. All right, and welcome back. And we are looking at a kind of an off the beaten path film, and we're going to review Good Time. And let me just uh, give you the quick and dirty from IMDb. It says, after a heist goes awry, a bank robber tries to free his brother from Rikers Island all in one night. It's directed by Benny Safdie and Josh Safdie. The writers are Ronald Bronstein, Josh Safdie. And it stars Robert Pattison of Twilight fame. Yes. Benny Safdie, Jennifer Jason Lee, and, and, and some, other, some other folks as well. And Adam, how would you describe this film, Good Time? Because you told me, you talked me into going seeing this on a non-Thursday night. 
And uh, I'm glad I did. But how would you describe this film to someone? I, with you, I don't think I described it other than saying you have to see this movie. That's all you said. You said, Roger, you have to see this movie. I said, okay, let's go. I mean, the bare bones of the plot you've already covered. It. This is a movie about two brothers, and the one is just scrambling to get bail money. He's driving around the city. He's trying every scheme he can think of. Yep. I forget what it is to get ten thousand more dollars or whatever to get his brother sprung because uh, his brother is disabled, and he's just worried about him in Rikers. Rikers is a rough place. This so, this movie, I just loved this movie. It's gonna make it's gonna it's in right now in my um, letterboxed best of two thousand seventeen group. I don't know if it will make the top ten or not, but it's an it's a midnight special. I mean, it's got this weird, you know way it's shot and lighting and in like music and then you watch a, a good section of the movie then the credits start kind of just very casually coming in and it's just got this artsy kind of weird yet cool feel to it you know it's a great late night movie it's a grainy it's very grainy you know like shot on film and uh I got to say, man, I didn't think Robert Patterson, I was not high on him at all. I'm going to be honest with you. But, dude, he totally knocked it out of the park. Mm -hmm. you, this is his, in my opinion, his best acting performance he's put on, on celluloid yet. I mean, he is amazing in this film. He makes the whole movie. He is the movie. The movie yeah. does not go without him. Yeah. Um, I read somewhere that when they were doing the casting, um, they really liked the energy he brought. Like he just kind of was a caged animal in the room. Like you know, always shifty, looking to get out. I mean, he's always looking for an angle in this movie. The realism in this movie. He's not a good guy whatsoever. There's no likable characters in this movie. Not one person that's likable. But imagine a guy who desperately loves his brother, and this is not giving anything away. His brother kind of struggles. He's a little bit you know, cognitively challenged at times, you know. And so there's a special love for him because he doesn't want his brother to be taken advantage of by society, even though he will openly take advantage of his brother mm -hmm. to rob this bank, you know. But when he, when, he, when he realized his brother got hurt and his brother got arrested and his brother's in this, you know, in this deal, he is a caged animal that will do anything. He, he will... He will rob his girlfriend. He will rob whoever he he will cheat out the mob. Whatever he needs to do to get his brother out. Damn the consequences. Exactly. And dude, there is such a great twist right in the middle of this movie. I'm not going to say anything. This movie is as unpredictable as they come. Absolutely. You have no idea where the this is going. The whole time you're not you're thinking Oh, this may not end good. This may just end as a big crash, you know? You, there's no promise of, oh, everybody's going to get saved and it's going to be fine in the end, you know? And I'm telling you, it's a fun ride. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a movie that won't be on probably 90% of the people listening to this podcast. It won't even be on your radar. No, if you see it on iTunes, I mean, that's where you're going to see it next. It's get it's it worth yes the itunes video on demand if you happen to have those dinosaurs called a video store if it's out there get good time it came out this year in 2017 crime drama thriller midnight special great soundtrack great soundtrack great music in this film great acting 
some creepy interactions with people. Cause this dude, I mean, Patterson has some, he's got some range here, man. He's like, you want to root for him and then he'll just creep you out with his actions. Mm-hmm. And you're like, dude, this guy is a horrible person, you know? And like I said, the fun part to me of this movie, I've seen it twice now in theaters. You watch act one and you have an idea of the setup, the story. Immediately in Act 2, you're in a completely different direction than you ever thought would be possible. Then Act 3 is somewhere else, too. Like I said, this path is the fun of the movie, especially the first time you see it. I'll just say this. There's a scene at the circus or the carnival, whatever it is. Like an amusement park. Amusement park, yes, that I was just holding my side laughing. There's some... And it's not really that it's funny. It's just the predicament the Indian just has me laughing, you know. Um, yeah, I, I just really, I just really, I just loved this film. I would highly recommend Good Time. It's out of the theaters now. Like I said, you got to get it on video on demand or Amazon or whatever. But It'll be up there soon, I imagine. It's going to be worth your, worth your uh, watching, absolutely. So, any other thoughts about Good Time? I mean, that's really it. You can't yeah. spoil this movie. Yeah, I mean, even I could go in and tell you everything that's going to happen, and it, and it's still you would thoroughly still enjoy the movie. Absolutely. So, so I recommend Good Time. Absolutely, it Good Time is a good time, right? And that's <laughs> I know I'm not sure where the name comes from, but there's a the doctor that's helping the younger brother that has a disability. I think twice in the movie, maybe at the beginning, at the end, says you're going to have a good time. Yeah, and maybe they just pulled it from there. And the way the movie starts, the opening scene of the movie, and the way the it circles back around and closes in just a great way. I just well-crafted movie. I can't wait to see what else these guys do. Absolutely. Um, I think that's going to about wrap it up for the podcast, but we have some coming attractions, some exciting things. Boy, do we, yes. So, Adam... Get ready for your minds to be blown. We have some really cool stuff coming down the pipe. Let our listening audience know what's going on, man. We are two weeks out from the Nightmares Film Fest, which is here in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Hashtag better horror. This is a horror movie festival. Yes. Four days. Come on, Days of the Dead listening audience. Yes. Our folks that we met in Louisville. If you are in driving distance, you want to get down here. Come on. Look up Nightmares on Facebook. Um I, I've been messaging a lot about it lately, so if you're friends with me on there, you'll see it. Um, you can always go to nightmaresfest.com. Yep. They have the schedule up. So it's four days, and I'm just going to point to a couple things really quick. Right away, their opening night is uh, Hatchet 4. It's called Victor Crawley with Adam Green, the director in attendance. That was the surprise Hatchet sequel he made. Nice. Uh, followed by the brand new entry in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. Come on. Leatherface. Yes. Uh, Friday... We have a lot of stuff, including two I'm very much looking forward to. Is a sequel to She Was So Pretty. It's a little indie gem that's been out there. Yep. We've promoted it. Yes. Um, the director and the star are both awesome people. They are great. This is their world premiere for their holiday-themed sequel. It's a Christmas horror movie, I which love I love. It. I love it. Um, house Shark, Midnight on Friday. It's oh, a shark in a house. Nice. Cheesy. It's going nice. to be awesome. Yes. Uh, Saturday, right off the bat, at noon, Creep 2. Creep was a surprise hit on Netflix with Duplass in it. Um, This is the sequel. There's a secret screening on Friday. I forgot. We don't know what it is. Oh, boy. And there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, Rock, Paper, Dead. A new movie from Tom Holland. (laughs) I mean, 
yes, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be promoting it. Um, I'll be there. A lot of other people will be there. Tons of talent in attendance. So if you are within driving distance, uh, you'll want to make it. You'll feel bad if you missed it. And what we're going to do, I'm already lining up interviews now. We will yep. be talking to some of these directors. We'll put up a preview episode, and I'll be picking out some of my favorites. So so you might either get one episode with a bunch of interviews, or we might do vignettes, smaller you know, 20-minute uh, episodes that feature different directors and movie producers. But yes, it's October 19th through the 21st, they or 22nd. They're already sold out of VIP badges. Yep. So you can still get the normal badge, and you can still buy individual screening tickets, but it's and on the Gateway website. I am so, Adam, I'm so bummed. I have already I had already scheduled an out-of-town trip that weekend, so I'm going to miss the whole entire festival, man. <sighs> But if you're in, if you're within driving distance, you've got to come. The folks over there um, at the Gateway have just been so gracious to us. They've been great to us, and you know, um, letting us be involved and help out, and uh, that's exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, like I said, it's nightmaresfest.com. You can look it up on Facebook. And don't wait. If you want to come, grab the badge because I know yep. they're moving quick. Absolutely. Any other surprises? Anything else coming up? Um, I think that's it. I mean, our next episode, we'll definitely have some more Nightmare stuff. And like I said, I'm lining up a few interviews. So the week of Nightmares, we'll probably have a preview episode. Nice. So if you're looking for us, we're all over social media. We're on Facebook, um, just facebook.com backslash film coterie. Yep. We're on Twitter at film coterie. And you can. And, and please jump on our Facebook group. We, we, sometimes we have some pretty good conversations there. So please feel free to, you know, jump in there, disagree with our, our, our review of a movie, agree with if us. If you didn't like Blade Runner, get on there. We want to hear that viewpoint. Get on there. Yes. Let's hear your what you didn't like about it. And we're not going to yell at you. We, we want to hear it. We promise we will be a friendly and safe place <laughs> yes. to have a discourse. I promise you that the Film Coterie page will be the safe and friendly place to have dialogue. No trolls. Unlike all the rest of Facebook, which is full of political spewing phlegm, you know. <laughs> so, I promise we're good. It's a fun, safe place to talk about our love of movies. And so, I promise to try to be more active on the page and uh man, jump in there and let us know what you thought of some of these movies we reviewed. So, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Uh, You have been listening to the Film Coterie podcast, and we'll see you next week.